1: erlon i will never forget it
2: ear hustle stories about life on the inside told by those who live it
1: find ear hustle wherever you get your podcasts
3: from wabe in atlanta this is closer look i'm rose scott Coming up on today's show, runners, walkers, and wheelchair participants, they're all gearing up for the annual Peachtree Roadways. Well, we'll meet some of those folks, including a first-time runner who's been training and her coach, who ran in the first race back in 1970. And it's likely that they, all of those participants will be facing some record-breaking heat as it hits Atlanta and across the South. What well, you should know about the dangers of heat exhaustion, not only for yourself, but also for your family pooch. Those conversations in just a moment, but first this. The Georgia Supreme Court has overturned the murder conviction of Justin Ross Harris for the death of his toddler son, Cooper, who was left in a hot car. This case gained international attention back in 2014, There's lots of analysis to talk about regarding this. I want to go ahead and welcome in WABE legal analyst and criminal defense attorney, Paige Pate. Paige, welcome. Glad to have you back.
4: Thank you, Rose. Great to be with you.
3: First of all, Paige, your overall reaction to the state Supreme Court overturning the murder conviction here.
4: I think it was the right decision. Obviously, Justice Namias spent a lot of time going over every single evidentiary issue, all of the facts in the case, Uh, Also, all of the legal issues and arguments from both sides. But at the end of the day, I think what the court is telling uh, the trial judge in this case and the state, the prosecution, is that you cannot try two separate cases in the same trial. In this case, obviously, the sex crime charges involving the underage girl bled over into the murder case and it was unfairly prejudicial according to the court.
3: And let's stop you right there, and I want you to break this down for our listening audience so they understand this, because we should note that the court today unanimously concluded there was that the evidence presented by the state in terms of did Mr. Harris leave his son Cooper in the car and that was the cause of the death. That That's not a question here. It's the joining of the other charges which relate to uh, Mr. Ross's activities uh, and p- perhaps extra marital affair. I'm not sure they're with this with uh, another person here. That's what you're talking yeah. about.
4: Yes. And I'll I'll add one detail to that. The court did say there was sufficient evidence to convict Harris of the murder charges, but it wasn't overwhelming evidence. Mm-hmm. And that's why this prejudicial evidence from the sex crime charges may have impermissibly affected the jury's verdict in the murder case. So there was enough evidence, and there's enough evidence to retry him for the murder case, but it wasn't so overwhelming that this other stuff didn't matter. It did.
3: Pace let me ask you, how often is, and you've obviously been on, on the side of this in terms of with defendants, would, did they, and we don't know this, but would the defense have objected, and it sounds like they did early on to including all this other, other quote, evidence, in order to get a conviction. Would you would you have objected to that? And was that a smart move? And maybe now it seems like it wasn't on the behalf of the state.
4: Yes. A um, lot to unpack there. This was a big issue before the case went to trial. I mean, obviously Harris was charged initially with cruelty to children and felony murder, but as they continued to investigate the case, especially uh, the messages on his phone then they realized there were other crimes here that they could charge him with. Mm-hmm. The defense of course jumped up and down said wait a minute that's a different case. You can't bring that into the murder case. We're going to get you know convicted here just because he's a bad dude and mm-hmm. the jury's going to see that. And the judge ultimately sided with the state and I think it was a mistake on the state's part to say let's try it all together. We're going to paint this guy as ugly as we possibly can and that's going to lead the jury to have zero sympathy for him and not give him the benefit of the doubt on the murder charge. He's a bad guy. He's a, as I think the Supreme Court called him, a pervert, a sexual predator. Mm -hmm. And so how are you going to sympathize with his version of the story instead of the state's? Well, you're not, but that was overdoing it according to the state Supreme Court.
3: So it appears then that the judge could have, we could have maybe avoided having this outcome, at the judge said, no, that is not admissible. Let's stick to the facts that relate to the death of the toddler.
4: Yeah, the defense said this is a separate case. Let's have a separate trial. You want to convict him of having a, a relationship with an underage female? That's fine. Try him in that case. Convict him. But the murder case doesn't have anything to do with it. Sure. Allow the evidence of the text and the messages that occurred on the day Cooper died. State Supreme Court said that's fine. The judge said that's fine. But that's it. All of this extraneous stuff, these images of his erect penis, I, it, it was just way too much. And there's no way the Supreme Court could say the jury wasn't impacted by that. It's likely they were.
3: Now, Justice Charlie Bethel, in, uh, in the partial dissent, joined by the other justices, said, quote, they believe the state was entitled to introduce, and I'm reading here in detail, evidence of the scope, extent, and nature of the, quote, truly sinister motive it ascribed to Harris, and therefore the trial court did not abuse its discretion in allowing the state to produce the evidence at issue.
4: Yeah, two thoughts about that. Mm -hmm. One, it is absolutely common for appellate courts to defer to a trial judge when considering issues like how prejudicial is that evidence. I mean, the trial judge is hearing the testimony, seeing the evidence. State Supreme Court usually said, that's your call. We're only going to reverse you if you're just way out of, <laughs> out of bounds with that decision. And so these justices, and, and I respect them all, they mm-hmm. just see the case differently, mm-hmm. said, look, this is not a decision for us. It's a decision for the trial judge. And because the case was a close call on murder, I mean, there was some other explanation for it. The state needed this bad character evidence, that's what I'll call it, Mm -hmm. to help them prove guilt. But it was that same fact that the case was not overwhelming that led Namius and the majority to say, that's exactly why you can't have it in, because Mm -hmm. it's more likely to shift um, shift the balance. So they just saw the case differently.
3: And let's, for our listeners who may not be familiar, I want to give note to Harris was indicted for 5 crimes. We're talking for for young Cooper's death, malice murder, two counts of felony murder and cruelty to children in the first degree and second degree and then for three crimes against a 16-year-old girl. Then he was found guilty of all charges. This was in November of 2016. Sentenced him to serve life in prison without parole for the murder plus additional time including a total of 12 years for the sex crime. So let's let's parse this out. What does this now mean? Uh, is he he still has the he still has the 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 conviction for the crimes against I guess for interacting with the minor or what have you But does this mean that he automatically gets a retrial What what's likely to happen here?
4: Yeah, great question. First thing, and I think a lot of people are interested in this. Justin Ross Harris is going to stay in prison. He's not getting released from prison as a result of this decision. He's got a twelve-year sentence just on the sex crime charges that he's got to serve. Mm -hmm. But it's now up to the district attorney of Cobb County, the new district attorney of Cobb County, to determine whether they're going to retry Harris on the murder charges. It's his decision and his decision alone. The -hmm. Supreme Court can't tell him what to do. Um, The attorney general can't tell him what to do. That decision is on his desk and he'll have to make it at some point.
3: Well, then in making that decision, Paige, if you can, for our listeners, what then must this dea consider
4: just the evidence they've
3: had before you you can't bring on his other stuff back
4: yeah no it it, it's a there are a lot of different factors Mm -hmm. and what weight he puts on what factor obviously that's just kind of who he is and Mm -hmm. we'll see number one it's expensive Mm -hmm. um if you'll remember last time they couldn't try this case in cobb county because they couldn't get an impartial jury Mm -hmm. so they brought it down to brunswick Uh, That's expensive. Bringing all the witnesses, the prosecution team, the defense team, court staff costs a lot of money. Inconveniences a lot of folks. Uh, The other thing he's going to have to consider is this is a very high profile case. I mean, ninety nine percent of the cases a D.A. deals with nobody pays attention to except Mm -hmm. the defendant and the families of the victim. Perhaps here everybody's going to be watching. And for a brand new district attorney, it's an important decision. You don't want to be perceived as someone who's not going to fight for justice when a child has died. But you also don't want to be perceived as someone who's going to try a case where maybe another resolution is possible, maybe a plea deal. Mm -hmm. So I think all that's going to be on the table and he'll have to decide. But my prediction, he's going to try him again on the murder charges.
3: Is there a timeline that would need to be determined before the for the DA to say, look, we're going to try him again or, or not, because there is not a due really. process here.
4: There is. Now, a lot of people may think, well, what about double jeopardy? He's already gone to trial. Well, he was convicted, and the Supreme Court found there was sufficient evidence to support those convictions, so it's not double jeopardy to try him again for the charges um, that were overturned. Um, the second issue is how long can he wait? Because he's in custody he's serving mm-hmm. a prison sentence. But this is not like somebody who's being held without bond on a case they haven't been convicted of yet. That's a more sensitive issue. You got a right to speedy trial in that case because you're in custody, but without a conviction. Here, you've got a conviction. It may not be for murder, but he mm-hmm. is still serving a legal sentence in prison. So you don't have to get him to trial next week or next month. Uh, I anticipate it'll take at least a couple, three months for them to sort through the pretrial issues and make this decision and then get back on a trial calendar.
3: Might his defense then ask for some type of maybe court monitored court-monitored situation where he is released and, and maybe on house arrest or something like that? Because it, and you don't want to lessen the charge against the, the, the teenager here, but he is not his conviction for murder has been overturned is there any loophole that his defense could possibly use to get him out while he awaits this other decision
4: no way no no way in the world I mean he was denied bond initially before he was convicted of murder so Mm -hmm. just the fact that they're pending murder charges against him or or will be or actually are I mean the, the convictions have been vacated but understand that doesn't mean he can't continue to to be charged with murder. He is now charged with murder. Mm -hmm. So it's just as serious as it was before he was convicted when the judge did not grant him bond then. Plus now he's serving an actual legal sentence that's been affirmed by the state Supreme Court. So he's not going anywhere for a while.
3: Paige, what is the the precedent set here in, in moving forward? I know there are a lot of folks who've been watching this and there are often we hear cases where evidence is presented in terms of a person's character a person's habits, things of that nature to support. I mean, this isn't anything new that the state prosecutors bring this type of evidence, but this is so clear cut for this particular case. There's a precedent set here.
4: Yes, I think this decision, and, and I think Justice Namius and the majority knows this, and that's why you saw it um, really laid out in in great detail for a hundred plus pages, the, the yeah. rationale beside, behind the decision, It's critically important, and it will be important going forward. Um, It is very common for a prosecutor to try to make the defendant look as bad as possible. You got bad evidence, character evidence, some other case. This dude's done something wrong in some other situation. Bring it all in, because obviously the jury's not going to like the person. Mm -hmm. And then you lose that benefit that you're supposed to have under the law of being presumed innocent before you're found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. You walk into a trial with all this bad character stuff hanging over your head, you kind of lose that presumption. So it's critically important um, that the court said, look, there, there are limits to what you can do here. And in a case where it's a close call, mm-hmm. now obviously if they had evidence, direct evidence of intent, you know, like, like he shot his son and they found him with a gun in his hand, that's a different case. But in a close call, any bad prejudicial evidence relating to character can be very harmful. That's what they said here. Mm.
3: Page four. we let you go. I also want to get your thoughts. Of course, we're, everyone's waiting for the Supreme Court, the state, the, our nation's highest court here in terms of Roe v. Wade. What do you make of all this? You and I haven't had a chance to talk about this, but just your take on this.
4: Well, it's gonna create a patchwork of inconsistent laws and decisions in in 50 different states. It's gonna be a mess to sort out. I don't think it's over as far as protecting uh, the right to choose for a woman within certain reasonable time periods. There are state constitutional protections that may apply. You're gonna see these new state laws challenged again, even if the federal constitutional question has been resolved um, by the Supreme Court. Um, But some of these laws that are being proposed, like making it a criminal offense to counsel someone on Mm -hmm. an abortion, uh, to help someone maybe schedule um, a procedure or travel out of state to a place where it's legal, making that a criminal offense in the state where it's illegal. I mean, that's just going to be problematic. you got prosecutors who don't want to bring the cases. Mm -hmm. you got some states saying, well, we're going to override that and let the attorney general prosecute. It's going to be a mess, and the biggest problem is it's going to be inconsistent, and that's Mm -hmm. going to be unfair to a lot of people across this country who don't have the means and the ability to simply hop a jet and go to Mm -hmm. New York.
3: Uh, WABE legal analyst and criminal defense attorney Paige Payton. Paige, when that decision does come down, we'll probably have you on the program. Thank you for taking the time.
4: Absolutely. Thank you, Rose.
3: You're listening to Closer Look here on 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. We're back in a moment. And from WABE in hot Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. At the time of this broadcast here today, this is today's forecast for Metro Atlanta. Sunny and hot with a high near 99. (laughs) There you have it. And there will be more hot days to come. And as we all know, with extreme weather conditions, it's also time to take health and safety precautions. Joining me now with Morris, Dr. Sylvia E. Morris, a physician with Kaiser Permanente and a contributor for the U.S. News and World Report's Medical School Admissions blog. Dr. Morris, welcome. Good afternoon. Great to be here. And we should note before our conversation begins, while Dr. Morris is well qualified in discussing today's topic, as always, we say you should consult with your own primary care physician, do not say Rose Scott said I don't have to drink a lot of water. By the way, I'd never say that, so that's why you should consult with your own primary care physician. Dr. Morris, how are you staying cool? Man, I'm really just trying to uh, stay in the air conditioning and drinking lots of water. Let's talk about, let's begin with water, because people say, well, how do I know how much water I should be drinking? It's hot. I'm inside. Does it mean I don't have to drink as much water? Do you hear, how often do you hear that? Get that question.
1: Yeah, I do hear that. People are just very confused. But simply the old adage of eight to ten glasses of water every day still works. If you're going to be outside exercising or if you work outside, then definitely you should drink more water.
3: And I want to get to this as my producer, Daniel Razale, is drinking water. And I I want to be honest because I think as the, the host and as someone who I think people you know, have some respect for, I do not drink enough water and I need to be better about that. So as of right now, and my team is looking at me, I pledge, I'm raising my hand to drink more water. I will do that. But let's begin with a couple couple of definitions here. Uh, First, let's start with heat exhaustion and the difference between that and heat stroke.
1: So heat exhaustion is anytime someone is kind of overcome by the heat. So your heart rate might be up, you might be breathing a little bit faster, you might feel nauseous. Heat stroke is just a continuation of heat exhaustion, Uh, and those patients have um, dizziness They may not be as alert and oriented, as we say, or appropriate. They may act confused. Mm -hmm. They may have seizures. But I don't want people to get too caught up in the definition. I want people to be aware of how dangerous the heat can be and to make certain that we started out this conversation about talking about water, the Mm -hmm. importance of staying hydrated,
3: and then also being in a cool environment. A cool environment, and we should note that for some populations, and we're not just talking about you know folks over a certain age, but also a little ones, little ones as well. But are there some? symptoms that we should be looking at let's start with our our, our littlest people um you know because kids love to go outside and play and running around and it's hot and they're you know they're having a good time so they may not be aware when something is happening with their body so particularly for our little ones let's say our under teens let's say 13 and under um what should we be looking out for in terms of if they may be experiencing um some type of, of heat related uh, stress
1: So definitely with the smallest children, they may have a heat rash. So they Hmm. get this sort of um, pimply rash all over their body. Uh, That might be one sign. Uh, Definitely with teenagers, I worry about, um, you know, people who are doing lots of activities. It might be some type of sports activity. uh, And they simply might just be thirsty. Mm -hmm. Uh, They will be sweating profusely and uh, just feeling a little bit nauseous and not quite right.
3: Now, I got to tell you, my mom, back in the night group in St. Louis, where it was hot, and hot. there were times where she would say, no, you can't go outside and play. She said, it's just too hot. Um, do you think parents, or in caregivers or folks, should just be mindful of that, too, that maybe sometimes it is just too hot for the kids to be outside playing? Well, you know, your mom is always right. Yes, Lord. Uh, and... <laughs>
1: Definitely. So what I want parents to do and really anyone uh, to check the weather and on your phone this morning before I went out for a walk, I looked at my uh, one of my weather apps. It told me how what the temperature was. It told me what it felt like. Mm -hmm. So the temperature before we came on was 92. It felt like 96. Mm -hmm. And then it also tells me the humidity. The importance of the what it feels like and the humidity, because that says to me, well, can my body appropriately respond to the heat? Mm-hmm. If it's too hot, if it's too humid, then we don't sweat appropriately, and then what happens is we can be overcome by the heat, heat exhaustion, heat stroke.
3: And Dr. Morse, we should note too, because often on some type of prescribed medicines. It does say that um, this medicine may have some type of adverse reaction if you are in some extreme weather condition. So if folks are taking some particular medicine for a particular condition, they need to take note of that as well, correct? Absolutely. So anyone that may be on a
1: diuretic or as people call a water pill Mm -hmm. for their high blood pressure, uh, then they may be at more risk for having dehydration. But I don't want anyone to run out and stop taking their water pill. I want you to have a conversation with your doctor and then also be very mindful about trying to stay in cooler environments. If you don't have access to air conditioning or your AC goes out, then go to a cooling center and you can uh, look uh, for your various counties and cities to find out where those are located.
3: I have a friend who just texted me. Um, she is an avid gardener, and she said, The doctor is going to make me stay in, but I love my plants. You know that, Rose. Let's talk about if you are going to be out and also what type of protections you need to have for your skin.
1: Well, if you're an avid gardener, then you probably are watering early in the morning or late at night. Uh, you are not. I think she's watering, doing that. I don't uh, know. Her, her flowers
3: of- look pretty good to me, so I'm assuming she does a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I can imagine. But I want her to wear a hat. Uh, And definitely sunblock uh, is important. But again, checking the weather Mm -hmm. and what it feels like before you go outside, just sort of make a plan for, okay, if if I have to be outside, then every 15 or 20 minutes, I'm
3: going to go into a cool environment. Mm -hmm. I'm going to drink some water. And Dr. Morris, I noticed you said sunblock. Now, Sister like me, I'm going to use a sunblock, but I know some folks want to get that nice tan. I don't need one. I I got a nice natural tan here, but sunblock is important. And if you are going to try to get a tan too, you should have, I guess the, the lotion also has a certain type of something in it. I can't remember what it is, but (laughs) Uh, SPF. There you go. uh, At least SPF of at least 30. uh, And it is
1: Uh, Certainly those who wish to tan, I, too, have a natural tan. (laughs) Uh, We want to make sure that we protect ourselves uh, from the sun because the UV rays in the sun can cause wrinkling. And nobody wants to uh, have excessive wrinkles. You Mm -hmm. know, aging wrinkles might be okay, but we don't want to be excessive, have excessive wrinkles. And then really more importantly is the risk of skin cancer Mm -hmm. uh, as related to UV light.
3: Dr. Morris, I have a listener who just sent me an email. Wants to know, in terms of the eight to ten glasses, or the eight to ten ounces of water a day, are health drinks advised because they always advertise? As she writes, they advertise health drinks as you know being a great uh, hydrated, hydrated drink for folks.
1: So, um,
3: Rose, this I'm is your to opinion. To this... Eight to ten glasses. Yes, yes. Okay. This is my humble opinion.
1: It will right. be eight to ten glasses. glasses. Gotcha. And when you think of a glass, it is an eight ounce glass. Gotcha. Uh, but to your uh, viewers' question, as far as health drinks, I'm doing air quotes. Uh, <laughs> I worry about the sugar yeah. in the health drinks, but certainly uh, for the little ones, we want to encourage them to drink. Uh, to stay hydrated. So sports drinks uh, would be acceptable, especially on really, really hot days. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for those of us who are worrying about our waistline, uh, I want us to drink water. You can put some cucumber in your water, Uh, your favorite citrus. I always have limes around my house. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's try and, and do that.
3: Do you are you also because we have some on my team? I have some avid bikers here, and I want them to enjoy biking. Uh, but do you also suggest to that perhaps they be cautious about you know when they're biking as well? Because I'm gonna put them on blast here. My producer Daniel loves to just bike all over Metro Atlanta. I mean, if he could, he'd go from here to Texas. Um, and I and being who I am, I'm I'm always saying, Daniel, be careful. Um, but do you want do you suggest that with some folks, let's be mindful and Maybe if you can limit some of the activity, because it's hot outside. Let's just be really clear. It's hot. It's
1: it's really hot. So I would um, caution about the time of day that you are are biking. I would presume that your producer is starting early in the morning and biking early to work. And then perhaps toward the end of the day,
3: I don't know how late they stay. They but, don't stay you late. As they, they, <laughs> soon as the show's over, they up out of here. <laughs>
1: I can imagine. But the other thing to remember with bikers or anyone that wears equipment, so going back to uh, our high school athletes Mm -hmm. who may be doing um, football preparation, Mm -hmm. then they're wearing a helmet, they're wearing clothing that might be constricted. So in an ideal world, if you are outside, you have loose-fitting, breathable clothing. So Mm -hmm. all those white parties or people in the linen, Mm -hmm. that's the ideal Uh, outfit for a hot day. And leave your girdles or compressive devices, let's leave those for another day because it doesn't allow the skin to breathe.
3: And we should note, um, because the guidelines for Georgia high school athletes participating or practicing in the sun, those guidelines are set. And I think each district has uh, their own guidelines that they have to follow. But there's also a gadget that that coaches use to determine i guess the heat index and i think if it's if it's over a certain number then they cannot or they should not be practicing outdoors so if you are a parent or a caregiver of a student athlete you might want to definitely check with your school district about their guidelines in terms of as a kid because i think right now some are practicing or getting they can practice for soon they can practice for football and i think cross country so it um, we Definitely suggest that you all check with your school district on that. Dr. Morris, what else do people often forget about what precautions they need to take in terms of when we're talking about the weather right now with the heat so hot here in Georgia?
1: Yeah, certainly we forget to check on our neighbors. Uh, So if you have elderly neighbors, uh, you want to make sure that they have their AC on or that their AC is functioning, and if not, then can they go to a cooling center? Do they have another family member that they can call and go to? And then also our furry friends, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your, your dogs and your cats, they get hot too. Mm-hmm. So let's make sure that they have cool water. And as we go to work, um, look and check your back seat because we don't want to leave our child or our furry friend in the car inadvertently absolutely. because we know that they can have some bad outcome.
3: And for folks who I see on the belt line at two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon running and you got your dog, I'm speaking for every animal right now. They don't want to be running with you on a hot pavement. I'm just saying <laughs> I'm just, just I've, I can see it in their eyes. Let's be mindful of that because the pavement is hot. And just because they have their little, paw pads doesn't mean that they don't feel that. So just letting y'all know. Uh, Dr. Morris. They bef- do kind of look you look at you
1: strangely when you walk by them, you know, like, help me.
3: Yeah. I'm looking at them like, if I could, little furry person, I would help you. But, you know, that's <laughs> against the law to take someone's pet. But we should, but people should be mindful of that. And also, too, in our next segment, as I'm going to speak with uh, participants in this year's Peachtree Road Race, um, some f- In terms of gearing up the night before or leading up to that race and what suggestions do you have for all our participants and drinking water and and some people say they drink, they have fruit and they have energy bars. Do you recommend that as well? Yeah,
1: definitely during the race they want to uh, stay hydrated so every water station, please pick up some water uh, or energy bar or whatever they happen to have. But before the race, Uh, a week out, you have to get your body acclimatized or get used to all of the heat Mm -hmm. and make sure that you uh, are practicing good hydration beforehand. So you can't just wait till the night before uh, to say, "Okay, tomorrow I'm going to go ahead and run up cardiac hill. Mm -hmm. Uh, You wouldn't do that as far as preparation for the length of the race. But I think people forget about the heat.
3: And last but not least, I have a question here for uh, those who are expecting to bring little ones into the world. In terms of um, perhaps again precautions they need to take to consider um, as they are you know delivering, or maybe they could be months away. But just in general, definitely staying hydrated. The message for
1: everyone is the same: stay cool, stay hydrated. Uh, Check on your friends and loved ones. And for women who are expecting, please make sure that you have a conversation with your health care provider to get really more specific tips for your
3: needs. Uh, There we go. Dr. Sylvia E. Morris, a physician with Kaiser Permanente and a contributor for the U.S. News and World Report's medical school admissions blog. Dr. Morris, good information. Thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. And again, how much water a day? Eight to ten glasses every day. All right, let's do it. Dr. Morris, thank you. Thank you. And closer look continues now here on 90.1. WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Raise your hand, unless you're driving or biking, if you are participating in this year's Peachtree Road Race. If so, you, of course, are among tens of thousands gearing up for the largest 10K in the world. This running event has come a long way since the very first race back in 1970. No, I wasn't there because I was in diapers somewhere in St. Louis doing who knows what. But somewhere around 60,000 participants are expected. And now, because we're still in the pandemic, the race will be held in person and virtually, of course, on July 4th. Today on the program, we're hearing from three people competing in this year's Peachtree Road Race. First up, our very own Summer Evans, WABE City Lights producer. We also have Coach Charlie Patterson, a former cross-country coach for Piedmont College. And Anthony Strayhorn, an Atlanta-based personal development coach and owner of Stray Fit. Summer, Coach Patterson and Anthony, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Let's just begin in here. Let's let's get right to it. Summer, what is your pre-night race meal going to be?
5: Oh, my gosh, Rose, it's got to be Italian. I mean, you need that carb-heavy food, that pasta. Um, So if you have any good Italian restaurants, please send them my way. Um, But that will be my
3: pre-race night food. Pasta. Okay. Anthony? Yeah, pasta. What you doing the night before?
2: Well, I like to eat lights. Like to be efficient, so I'll do Olympic carbs. Um, I like to do a lot of bananas, um, just fruit, because it's it's carbs that burn real quick. And I need that quick burst of energy, and a lot of water. It's gonna be hot. All right, and uh, rest. So all that is what I'm eating.
3: All right, Coach Patterson. The night before, what are you doing? I would normally eat
6: a regular meal, which would include the uh, the carbs. Uh, I don't uh, make a special effort to. Overload in carbs. I'll eat, eat my normal meal that I I would normally eat, but it would include uh, it would include some protein, some carbs. Uh, I may have a light dessert uh, and uh, drink drink plenty. I like to drink uh, some electrolyte drinks uh, okay. usually the week before and and the evening before.
3: Now, Coach Patterson, I want to stay with you for a moment. Is this the same routine you had when you ran the very first Peachtree Road Race? decades ago
6: oh no oh no <laughs> <laughs> we, we started in, in the middle of buckhead at 9:30 in the morning if you can imagine <laughs> and uh had had no uh police escort or anything and we just showed up uh and no special meal or anything uh we we were just there
3: yeah. and
6: but uh a lot has happened since then uh that was, uh, that was before running was cool.
3: There you go. <laughs> and I want to stay with you for a moment because I'm curious, Coach Patterson, how many Peachtree Road Race races have you been involved in here?
6: I've run probably 50 out of the 52 or 53. I think I've missed three, two, two three. I, I moved out of the Atlanta area for a while. and uh, the, In fact, I missed the second one. And, wow. But I usually would try to get back to Atlanta. To run it, and uh, we had a uh, hundred and ten people to finish the first one, and they they bring us together every five years yeah. as sort of a reunion, and it's really interesting. We we had uh, kids that were like six and eight years old; they're they're grown and married and have kids their own. It, it it's real interesting. That.
3: Wow, Summer Evans, what made you? What in the world made you just decide to train for the Peachtree Road Race? Well,
5: I am a Georgia native, born and raised, and it's always been an Atlanta staple. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's a rite of passage. If you are born and raised in Georgia, you have to run the Peachtree Road Race. And being that I've been a cross-country runner since I was a sophomore in high school, I felt like it was on my bucket list of things to do. And um, yeah, so I put my name in the lottery Because I wasn't a member of the Atlanta Track Club, Mm -hmm. um, so I couldn't just automatically sign up. And when I got the notification on
3: April 1st that I got in, I was like, all right, time to train. Let's get to it. April 1st. Now, had you, because you're you're a runner, but had you been running consistently just to stay in shape as an exercise? Had it just been something of the the past for you?
5: It was very sparse. I ran uh, in high school, and then I ran in college, and Coach Charlie was my coach at Piedmont. So Mm. um, it's been like over six years. I did one 5K in 2018,
3: but it's been a while. So you knew who to call when you are going to start training, call coach. Exactly, yep. Anthony Strayhorn, what race number is this for you?
2: This is my seventh Peachtree. Yeah? Yes.
3: And so (laughs) have your habits, your training habits changed at all from the first time you ran this race to now?
2: No, you know, I, I train for life. And I train for the long run in life. So I, I'm always in some kind of shape for running or swim training or any kind of activity in life. So I'm always I'm always in shape, so to speak. And uh, for me, it just allows me to be able to be adaptable and formidable in so many different things. So um, I, I keep a lot of the same basic routines and rituals that I do uh, when I do do races. I don't do that many races. I do one 5K a year, a 10K, and then a half and um you know for me my peach tree experience has been one where for a long time i've been in atlanta 15 years Mm -hmm. i didn't do the peach tree at all i'd seen it heard about it never did it i've been running since 1996 consistently as a lifestyle um, somewhat competitively Mm -hmm. but mostly just as a lifestyle and uh when i saw how many runners were in the pc road race the first time i did it i was like oh my gosh, this is epic yeah. and there's nothing like it there's nothing yeah.
3: like it coach i want to bring the you intensity everything coach i want to bring you into the conversation because this is a question for you and anthony since you all have been running this has your approach in terms of how you tackle the course has that changed and and and, and coach patterson for you because you've run 50 of these and, and the course has changed a little bit but has your approach in terms of how you pace yourself When you get ready for cardiac hill which is what they call it has that changed over the years
6: Uh, it hasn't changed a lot because the the main thing that i do is you have to take it easy on the first half of the race Mm -hmm. Uh, you're you're running downhill for two two miles and you think oh i can do this and if you if you run that too hard and then you get to the upper parts of the race uh Cardiac Hill is tough, but to me, the Colony Square Hill is the most Mm -hmm. difficult part. It's the fifth mile and it's uphill. And that has always been the most difficult for me. So I try to conserve energy to get up that uh, last fifth mile hill. And so the key is run under control for the first half before you start up the hill.
3: Anthony Strayhorn, coach said control pace yourself that first two miles okay and then you get (laughs) you get to the you get to that that grueling cardiac hill you agree with everything that coach said
2: absolutely absolutely, a thousand percent i know because i've been that person that's eaten that hill when i went out too fast or you know try to keep up with somebody that was just you know outpacing me and i was just trying to watch their back and keep up with them so Yes, everything he said.
3: Let's talk <laughs> about that. You said, it sounds like, okay, you were trying to keep up with somebody. Did your ego say, mm-hmm. uh, uh, come on, Anthony, and then you had to, <laughs> it drew you back in? How important well, is it? I th- want you to talk about that for our listeners that don't focus on who's beside you. Run your race. Yeah, run your race. It's really important to find, like, your sweet spot. Like,
2: you practice what, you know, my thing is always – practice what you you know you've been doing already you know if you've been running a, a six minute mile then try that and practice that stay in that zone if you if but if you find yourself i'm not sure what kind of watch this the people listening will have but mm-hmm. it's it's great it's great to have a GPS watch because it helps keep you keep your clip um but if you find yourself running a 550 and you're at the first mile like you might want to scale it back 10 seconds mm-hmm. and so that you know because that that extra push is going to compound and so one thing about the PSU road race, the first 5k is nets downhill, like coach said, but that when it, it, kick, it kicks up after that first 5k and it, and it starts to climb up some more. Mm-hmm. And then when you turn on to 10th, when you turn on to 10th street and you think you're done once you hit, once you cross over Piedmont and it's like, Oh no, that long stretch from mm-hmm. Piedmont all the way down to Charles Allen. Mm-hmm. It seems like, like a day, like it takes forever. To get down there, and I, that's where I kick the most. And I swear, I'm just like I have—I'm gassed. Not done. <laughs> and so, if you don't—if you don't pace yourself, you could wind. I mean, you could pass out. You know? Yeah, you we don't pass want that. P-Street race. we don't want that. So I think pace is every. And also, I think too is just controlling your breathing, really controlling your breathing, and really being mindful about your internal conversation as you run. Like, are you running with light thoughts? Are you running with something heavy? Are you thinking too much? Are you thinking very just? Just with less on your mind. I think that's a big thing.
3: So Summer, you heard yeah. what Anthony said what have you what adjustments have you been making and I want to start with the mental because what Anthony talked about and I got to be honest with you Anthony you're the first and I've interviewed a lot of folks about you know participants you're the first person to talk about the mental aspect in terms of what's on your mind while you are participating. Summer have you had to adjust or come up with some type of process for that aspect before we get to the physical part. Well, what's so in college, you are not allowed to run with headphones,
5: So, or even in high school when you're running a race. Um, And a lot of people, that's what they do when they practice. They're listening to music, a podcast, what have you. So even early on in high school, I just had to learn to get my mind out of my body, what I was doing just then, because once you start focusing on this is exhausting. I'm dying. I want this to be over with. You're mentally tapping out of the race. Hmm. So now that I can wear headphones, I've been listening to this Nike running app and I have a coach in my ear, you know, kind of telling me how to take mile by mile. And that's been very helpful, um, especially since I'm not in college anymore. I don't have Coach Charlie right there. (laughs) So (laughs) that's been what I've been doing.
3: Well, let's talk about then the physical preparation. You heard Coach and you heard Anthony talk about, you know, taking it easy, not trying to to come out too fast. Have you developed a a process that you think will work for you come July 4th?
5: I've just been mindful of my pace. Um, I'm not trying to win it because this is my first one. I'm just trying to stick between a 10-minute pace, uh, get it done within an hour. I feel like that's reasonable for me to have just been training since April. Um, you know, and I did some lifting and stuff like that, but I haven't done a whole lot of running mm-hmm. in the years. Um, so that's what I'm going to try to stick to. It's just a 10-minute pace and be mindful of that through each uh, mile.
3: Coach Patterson, should folks try to set goals by by the mile by maybe okay i want to have this type of pace by the time i get to cardiac hill should they set those goals is that helpful and, and we're talking about for first time participants too
6: i think uh goals are important they just need to be very realistic uh and then uh, you can set the, your pace but the the pace will change according to what the terrain is mm-hmm. uh, for me, the peach tree is acclimating to the heat.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: And uh, I run through every water spray. I take water and drink it just about every every opportunity because my body doesn't handle the heat so well. hmm and, uh, and that's one of the things that... Uh, I'm sorry. That's okay. If the folks but, are trying uh, to reach you, that's okay. <laughs> but uh, that's, a, that's the most difficult part for me on the peach tree is the heat now i do run with a heart rate monitor mm-hmm. and now you know with that new technology you can really monitor yourself to know if you're over exerting too early and uh, i will set targets for for heart rate so with the additional heat and the hills i i back way off to, mm-hmm. to keep that in, in within the range but Targets are good. Goals are good as long as they're realistic and they have to change according to what that that day is. If it's hot, you change your goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, I was uh, doing well in my training and um, I contacted COVID about a week ago. So my whole strategy has changed for July 4th. Mm. Uh, I I will plan just to take it easy, have a good time and just get through the distance.
3: All right. Summer, this is your first one. I I, I interviewed someone years ago and they said that if you can, if it's your first time around the race, if you can at least uh, start maybe eight weeks out, that's a good that that's a good enough time. When did you say you started in April?
5: Yeah, April 1st. As soon as I saw that email (laughs) that I was going to be in and I put on my running shoes and ran 20 minutes and was dying.
3: (laughs) Now, Summer, was that was that the smart thing to do? For the first time, coach, you heard what Summer said, Anthony, come on now. Well, you know, it's you
2: you get excited. And so your body, you push your body past a comfort zone or a space where you're not used to. And there's there's always a risk. However, I think um, you have to practice, you know, going past your comfort zone and also being mindful, like coach said, just having a strategy. And uh, I mean, I ran cross country as well. Like summer did and one of my meets in high school i passed out on a course mm. because i didn't eat enough food mm. after that though i'll tell you this i i was relentless with my sprints but at the at the end of a race thing mm-hmm. i could i could kick i didn't have a lot of fear that i would pass out or not be able to do it so i'm not saying you go out and pass out however when you really get into what you're doing and what you love there will be moments where a part of like the, the fearful side of you might die. And once mm-hmm. that dies, there's a new emergence of courage that yeah. you can really live in. And it really carries you beyond just running. It transfers in life. You know,
3: let's talk. Let's talk about we have about four minutes left, but I want to talk about a definite don't do not go out and buy a brand new pair of shoes the night before and run the race. <laughs> I have had friends who said, yeah, I'm going to get these cool running shoes. And I'm like, "Uh, you may not want to do that. Anthony, tell them why.
2: Well, because my experience with shoes that they're better when they're broken in. So if you have some old ones, actually, it's better to run in your older ones because they're more broken in. They actually, when you strike, they spread more because the rubber, the sole is more loose. And uh, it takes a little bit of, it takes several runs and a certain amount of miles for really to get that, that sole to loosen up and, and be more flexible. And that's really what you want for a racing. You don't want a stiff shoe because your feet needs to, like, be able to, you know, relax and spread when it when it's when it strikes the ground. So I wouldn't advise wearing brand new shoes unless you're walking. Yeah, that's okay. But if you're running, I would advise just going with an older pair if you have some that are not too out of condition. You know,
3: Coach Patterson, what do you what's the one thing that you want folks to remember about this year's Peachtree Road Race, and especially if it's a first timer like Summer here?
6: Have a good time. It, for, for me, it's uh, you're going to be out there with uh, 60,000 of your closest friends and just enjoy the experience. Have a good time. And uh, it. I, I like what Anthony says. It's really about, about life and running for me now is about relationship. I got excited when I found out that summer was running. But have a good time. I- enjoy the people. Uh, and just don't overdo. That would be my, my first and foremost suggestion.
3: All right. And Summer Evans, I'm going to give you the last word here. One, how excited are you? Are you ready? I mean, let me ask you that. You ready, Summer? Because you're representing WABE and all the, and the two midday shows here. And I just want to I let know. you know there's no pressure because you're running for me <laughs> and Lois. Oh, man. And H. Johnson and Jim and Lisa. So you're running for, for all Wow, well, no us.
5: pressure at all. I might have to wear a WABE shirt, you know to represent but I'm I'm pumped I'm excited yeah and you're feeling pretty good I'm feeling good I'm feeling like I'm in shape I'm running kind of in the hotter part of the day you mm-hmm. know to kind of get acclimated I I think I'll be ready less than two weeks from now all
3: and right we'll be out there we'll, we will be out there cheering for you Um uh, Summer Evans I gotta ask you this too I talked about the pre-race meal what is the post-race meal you're gonna <laughs> some oh folks go get God. barbecue yes. those are folks I know <laughs> some folks will get a beer again folks that i know <laughs> that says a lot about who my friends are right what's, <laughs> what's that post-race meal for you summer
5: Ooh, we are going to be grilling out some burgers and brats and i'm definitely going to have a beer by the pool
3: <laughs> <laughs> i love it wabe city lights producer summer evans coach charlie patterson and also anthony strayhorn best of luck to all of you Thank you all for doing, for participating in this, and thank you all for what you do. Coach Patterson, it was a pleasure to have you on the program, sir. It really was.
6: I thoroughly enjoyed it, and thank you for the opportunity.
3: All right. Good luck, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Yeah. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Rezell. Our engineers, Kevin Rinker. He rides a bike. Y'all should know that. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you are participating in this year's Peachtree Road Race, let me know. I'd like to shout you out. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And, of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. and You know what? We have a podcast, so subscribe to Closer Look, wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott.